Harvest Church radio program. This is part eight of our series, Streams, with a message entitled, God's Power Versus Your Power, with Pastor Brent Jones. God has power like nothing else. All he needs to do is speak, and whatever he has spoken comes to pass exactly when and exactly how he wants it to happen. He has the ability to create something from nothing with only a whisper. Last week, Pastor Bob spoke to us about miracles and being expectant of God's power to work in our day-to-day activities. Expectation is what drives faith forward and expands it into more and more areas of our lives. If we aren't living lives expecting to see God's power unleashed, it's usually due to a few conditions. Obviously, doubt would be one. If we doubt God is gonna do something, how much can we really expect him to do something supernatural? The second condition is trust. If we don't really trust God, does our faith really have much, if any, substance to it? Today I wanna look at a word, sorry, at that word trust a little bit differently and explore what happens when, while we may trust in God's power, we trust in our own power just a little bit more. Whether it's to try and control circumstances, other people, or even ourselves. Because let's face it, we have far more power over ourselves than we do others or circumstances, yet if each one of us were to be honest, Don't you think there's things we would have liked to have changed about ourselves a long time ago? And they're just sort of still lingering around? The big question I'd like us to consider this morning is how often do I rely on my own power rather than God's power? How often do we kid ourselves and act like we're leaning on God to accomplish things in our lives but then decide, okay God, I trust you but this is taking a little too long. Or, God, I know you got this and I trust you, but how about we do it this way instead? We all do this. I do this, you do this, everyone in the Bible did this at some point. And there are many reasons why we do this. We're gonna pinpoint a few of them this morning so that we'll be able to identify them and respond appropriately. The end goal is that when we learn to lean more on God's power, sorry, is so that we can learn to lean more on God's power and less on our own power. So the scripture I want to look at this morning is found in 1 Samuel. God had led his people, the nation of Israel, to the promised land, and for over 400 years, he would raise up, they were called judges, to lead them and rescue them from oppression. Names like Samson or Deborah or Gideon come to mind. God used them in amazing ways to work amongst his people. The final judge of Israel, his name was Samuel. Samuel was a man of integrity who obeyed the Lord very carefully. And he he encouraged God's people to do the same. As a matter of fact, at one point, they had given in to idol worship, worshiping the gods of the surrounding nations. They had suffered an embarrassing defeat to the Philistine nation. And Samuel basically said, All right, guys, if you want God's power to return to us, get rid of your false gods and statues that you're worshiping and turn back to the Lord and worship him alone. So they did. They smashed and burned all their statues and pictures of false gods. 
Then they went and begged Samuel to plead with God to save them. His power, right? And shortly after, the Philistines attacked again. But it says, the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day and the Philistines were thrown into confusion and Israel was able to defeat them. Cool stuff. So things went well for Israel for a time. They worshiped the one and true God and lived in peace. They grew comfortable. Now comfortable can be a very destructive force in the life of a Christian. I think not one of us would argue that. But then again, so can discomfort. See, God uses discomfort a heck of a lot more to grow us in our faith lives than he does comfort. But what do we tend to do when we start moving in an uncomfortable direction? We make a beeline away back towards that comfort, right? We'll do anything to get comfortable again. That's human nature. So they grew comfortable because they trusted God and they trusted Samuel, which isn't a bad thing at first. But Samuel began to get old and he needed a successor to take his place. And it says this in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, it says, as Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. Samuel's sons were not like him. It says that they were greedy for money and they would take bribes. Justice was being perverted. In other words, the future leaders of the nation were corrupt. This made the people of Israel very uncomfortable. They had grown accustomed to things going smooth under Samuel. They were used to justice being fair. And they liked the direction they were heading in, having turned back to God. So this is the first and common reason we leave God's power and rely on our own power. We get uncomfortable. Now there's no question that God, who is ultimately in control, was still in control even when these corrupt leaders were about to take the reins of the nation. And yes, God is still in control of our nation too, not that there's ever been a bad politician in Canada. Whoa, come on now. God could have easily led them into better things if they had just trusted him. But they did not like the direction of the nation one little bit. It was too uncomfortable. So a natural next step in being uncomfortable in an uncomfortable situation is we get impatient. I ain't staying here. Let's get out of here now. How many times in your life have you gotten tired of waiting on God for something and just taken it into your own hands? A big one that I've witnessed over the years is marriage. People get impatient, so they settle for someone who's not necessarily headed in a healthy direction. But they justify it by saying, well, I've waited long enough for the right person. I'm not getting any younger. And oh boy, does that lead to big problems down the road. Not that God isn't able to handle those situations if we put them into his hands, but it sure adds a whole bunch of unnecessary turmoil and pain to people's lives. So discomfort and impatience tend to lead us to shift our gaze in compare, to others in a comparing manner. 
We compare our situation to other people's. I don't like where I'm at. I want to get out of here as soon as possible. And hey, look how happy old Joey Bag of Donuts is over there. Check out his Instagram. He's always smiling. Oh, and he got a new truck. Of course, what you don't know is that old Joey Bag of Donuts is tens of thousands of dollars in debt and his marriage is on the rocks. But man, his Instagram posts sure look great. We compare. We look at other people's lives and think, I want that instead. This was the sequence that Israel followed when Joel and Abijah took the helm. In 1 Samuel 8, verse 4 and 5, it says, Finally, all the leaders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old, and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Now, they were supposed to be God's chosen people, set apart from all the other nations as his own special possession. They were meant to be different. He was to be their God, and they were to be his people. Just as you are if you're a Christian. You are God's very own, and do not conform to the patterns of this world. And yet, you do it all the time. I do it all the time. Because we're constantly moving through uncomfortable circumstances where we become impatient real quick and in the age of information, we're able to see how other people are faring and all the fixes in the world are right at the tips of our fingers. So we take matters into our own hands. Rather than seeking God's way, we do it our way. We rely on our own power. And when we do this, when we rely on our own power, our own timing, all that stuff, rather than God's, we're essentially rejecting him. We're rejecting God. We're saying, God, I don't actually need or want you here. I got this. My child is going astray, but I'm gonna bring him back my way by enabling them. My marriage is falling apart, but I'm gonna fix it my way by manipulating my spouse or getting my friends involved. There's a possible promotion at work but rather than honor you, God, with my one Sabbath day per week, I'll be working overtime to secure it. I don't need or want you here, but I'll see you next Sunday. And you know what God's response is? Okay. Have it your way. I won't interfere. And even though you don't deserve it, because of my great love and abounding grace, I'll be waiting right where you left me so that when you decide to come back, we can do this together. Samuel knew that this was not a good direction for Israel, so he took the situation to the Lord for help. In 1 Samuel 8, verse 6 through 9, it says, Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. So do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. How often do you have this kind of conversation with God or with yourself? It's like, well, 
I know that if I were to do this God's way, even though it's gonna be difficult, he will be with me, he will guide me, and he will bless me. On the other hand, if I do this my own way, the outcome either won't be anywhere near as impactful or fulfilling, or it'll cause some serious damage in my life or the lives of those around me. I choose my way, though. My way's best. I reject God. Now we get to the consequence part of leaning on our own power rather than God's power. We may think we're doing what's best, but in reality, it's only harming us more than it's helping. When we reject God and his power in our lives, we lose, actually, we actually lose what little power we had in the first place. In verses 10 through 20 of 1 Samuel chapter eight, it reads like this. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops. And some will make weapons, make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be as slaves. When that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding. But then the Lord will not help you. But the people of Israel refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king. So he just explained all of that to them. And they're like, yeah, that's what we want. <laughs> and we may laugh about this, but honestly ask yourself, how often do you try to be God? How often do you say, Jesus, take the wheel? Just kidding, you can ride shoddy. I got this. So Samuel obeyed, and he anointed a man named Saul as king over Israel. There's a big, big story on Saul. Uh, we're, we're not gonna get into it this morning. I encourage you to read it on your own. It's pretty awesome. Uh, but Saul had some decent victories in his time, but overall, he ended up being a failure. Any guesses on why he was a failure? Because more often than not, he tried to rule the nation on his own power. God would give him clear instructions and he would do things his own way instead. Or he would grow impatient waiting on God and jump into battles before first consulting God's wisdom and guidance. So we're gonna skip ahead in the book of 1 Samuel to chapter 17, where a young man, you've probably heard of him, his name is David, and he entered the story there. He was around 14 years old, and this time in his life is a huge testament to what it's like when any single person trusts God and his power completely and without hesita hesitation. 
So let's flip the question from the beginning of the morning to what happens when I rely on God's power rather than my own? Well, number one, our confidence goes up. When we get to this point, chances are we're very aware that leaning on our own power hasn't panned out very well. Has anyone here heard of Celebrate Recovery? That's like the first thing you learn is, uh, okay, I can't do this on my own. So confidence goes up. God cannot fail. It's impossible. We have every reason to be confident in him and his outcomes for us. So Saul and his army were in a stalemate with the Philistines, excuse me, with the Philistine army. Both were camped facing each other on either side of a valley called Elah. You may be familiar with the story. The Philistines sent out their best warrior who happened to be nine feet tall, a literal giant named Goliath. Israel was challenged to send their best warrior to go and face him. The winner of the battle would win the entire war for their nation and the losing side would have to be their slaves. For 40 days, every morning and every evening, this giant would walk out and shout insults at Saul and the Israelite army, defying the name of God at the same time. David, who was too young to be in the army, was sent by his father to bring his, to bring his brothers, who were soldiers, some food and some supplies, and then a report back to his dad on how things were going. So off he went, leaving his post as a shepherd for his father to see his brothers. He heard rumor of this terrible giant that had paralyzed the entire army. And he started asking questions. In chapter 17, verse 26, it says, Samuel asked a soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Notice he didn't say giant. He just referred to him as a Philistine. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? David wasn't being arrogant here, although his brothers certainly accused him of being so more than likely out of embarrassment that their little brother was basically calling out the entire army for their cowardice. But no, David was not being arrogant. He was confident that the Lord was with him. And the crazy thing is, God would have been with any single one of these soldiers had they decided to lean on his power to win this war for them. Thousands of men. God only needed one. He really would have won that war with any one of those other guys. So where in your life are you facing a Goliath but you're failing to lean on God's power? Where is fear in control? Where are you paralyzed? Maybe in the area of finances or your health? Where do you need to shift your perspective from that of Saul and his, and his soldiers to one more like young David's? When we rely on God's power rather than our own, number two, God is able to draw from and use past experiences. Saul heard that there was someone who was willing to take on this giant. And I'm sure he couldn't believe his eyes when he saw who it was. Listen to David's response to Saul in 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 37. He says, but David persisted. 
I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. Again, he's not referring to it as a giant. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said. And may the Lord be with you. I wonder what David thought when he heard Saul call that out to him. May the Lord be with you. Now, I've never seen a lion up super close. I think I saw one at a zoo one time. I don't ever really want to see one up super close. I have, however, been close to a bear. About two weeks ago, my boy Paxton and two gentlemen from the congregation here went out for a spring bear hunt, and we ended up getting one. It was massive. I can hear the guys laughing in here. Probably the biggest bear I've ever seen. Okay, it wasn't a huge bear. All right, it was a pretty small bear. Okay, it was a tiny bear. <laughs> but I was assured by a fellow hunter later on that it's called ground shrinkage. It's a real thing. Okay, the bear looked huge before we shot at it. And then once it was on the ground, it was like every step we took it, like. Now, as small as this bear was, it still had some very sharp claws and very sharp teeth. As small as this bear was, I wouldn't want to be trying to take care of it with a club, okay? But David, he had this understanding that God was the reason he could do things like this. God had protected him against some pretty intense threats in the past. And with this in mind, he was able to face the giant. What sort of God power stories can you recall in your own life that might help you in your current circumstances? What experience can you draw from so that God can do something even bigger in your life today? The third result of leaning on God's power rather than our own is we get to see God's power deliver great victories through us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. This kid didn't need a rifle. He didn't even need any armor or a sword. He used what he knew he was already skilled at based on his past experiences with complete confidence in God. Then notice this. David cut off Goliath's head with his own sword 
God doesn't want to just help you overcome the enemies in your life. He wants you to dominate and absolutely own them. Things like depression or anxiety or addiction or habitual sin or insecurity, low self-esteem, fear, these are all enemies and he wants you to crush them in overwhelming victory. But without his power, you'll never be able to do it. Think about it. If you could win these victories on your own, you would have done it already. You can't, but he can. So four, God's power in me can help set others free. First Samuel 17, 51, B through 52 says, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Sharon as far as Gath and Ekron. When God accomplishes a great victory or is able to reveal his power through your life, the people around you can't help but be affected. God's power in your life extends his life to others in one way or another. I'm gonna finish with a a story, but I'm gonna invite the band to come up and uh, prepare for the end here. Kelly and I, my wife Kelly and I, um, we moved into a house over on the south side of Mission Heights about five years ago. And uh, we, were, we were trying to sell the, the house. We were, we were out growing the house. We were having too many kids. And, uh, <laughs> which is awesome. But uh, we were trying to sell our house um, privately. And we had a realtor helping us to buy the house in Mission. And in order for us to secure our house and mission, it was obviously dependent on us selling this other house privately. And things just kept getting delayed from the, the people who were trying to buy our place. We asked for an extension from our buyer, our seller, and uh, she agreed to it once, which is great. We were really thankful. I think it was a week or two. Um, and things fell through again with our buyer, so we asked for another extension and our realtor was like, okay, sure. I can't even remember the details, but something fell through again. And we asked for a third extension and the realtor was like, you gotta understand, this, this isn't gonna happen. This, isn't, this deal's not gonna go through. This never happens. And uh, Kelly and I just said straight up to her, because we, we knew that she had faith. We, we just said, you know what, like, if, if that's what happens, that's what happens. But we've prayed about this and we're trusting God that this is gonna go through. And so she said, okay. And she went to the, uh, to the seller and asked for another extension. And we were kind of like anxiously waiting. And sure enough, third extension. We're like, wow, okay, God. Like, thank you. <laughs> Please let this deal go through now. The deal went through. And... Um, she was like eight or nine months pregnant, so it was like kind of stressful. We are just trying to get into this new place so that we could have a new baby and, and, you know, have some room. And it went through, and our realtor came to us later, and she was like, I can't believe that worked. I can't believe the faith that you guys have. 
I've never seen anything like that. And so I know that it, it encouraged her faith. Now this is the cool part. About three weeks or so later, the previous owner of our new home showed up to uh, grab some mail. You know how sometimes you forget to change your address on certain things, so some of her mail was still coming to our house. And uh, so we met her and introduced the family to her, and and, uh, she was probably in her 60s or so. And she just kind of paused before she left. She said, are you guys Christian? I said, yeah. She said, "Are are are you a pastor? I said, yes. And then tears just started falling from her face. She's like, I had no idea who you were. But I've just been praying that our house, that this house would be sold to a Christian family. And for some reason, I've been praying that it would be sold to a pastor's family. And I just, what do you do? What do you say? I just stood there in awe. All of our faith was strengthened. Her faith, the realtor's faith, our family's faith, it was incredible. We leaned on God's power, even, even in a situation like that. Can I ask you to stand with me? Father God, we pray that you help us navigate this. It's so easy to go back and lean on our own power, our own understanding. Lord, we understand that the focal point, the beginning point is just to worship you, just to put you at the center of everything we do. The rest will fall into place as you guide us. And God, we understand that sometimes you want us, you you want to guide us through some pretty difficult and uncomfortable situations. But Lord, we know that we can trust you because you've never failed. You've never failed us, not even once. So Father, help us. Help us to take an honest look uh, inside And identify these areas, Lord, where we could use a little bit more of your power and a little less of our own. Thank you, Lord. If you've never received Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior, and you'd like to do that this morning, you can borrow this prayer in the quietness of your heart between you and and God. He can hear your thoughts. He can hear your heart. You can say something like this. Lord Jesus, I've been doing this all on my own power, this whole life thing. And I'm burnt out, I'm tired. I understand that I need something more. I've just been spinning my wheels, I've just been stuck. So Lord, by faith, I'm choosing to receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm choosing to believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you rose again, Lord, so that now I can rise with you, a brand new creation in you. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Thank you that you forgive me for all of my sins, past, present, future. Help me to learn to love myself, to love others, and ultimately, Lord, to learn to love you and lean on your power in my life. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.